right, good morning, everyone. How y'all doing today? Good, good, me too. All right, well, hey, if you are uh, new here at the Transit or you've been coming for a couple weeks, you know that we, uh, well, if you're new, you wouldn't know this, but we're going through a series uh, through the Gospel of Mark entitled Journey with Jesus, where we are looking at the Gospel of Mark and looking at the life of Christ in Mark's gospel, and also not just the life of Christ, but also the journey that Jesus invites his followers on. So uh, today, we're going to be in Mark 6, Mark 6, verses 30 through 52. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles for you in the center aisle. Feel free to have someone grab those for you, and the verses will be on the screen as well. But if you were here last week, you know that we talked about uh, Mark 6, 1 through 30. And what we looked at in last week's te- text is that there's a cost to following Jesus, that this journey Jesus invites us on often is a costly one. Uh, what we saw in last week's text is that Jesus lost his hometown, lost uh, a lifelong relationships there, was rejected at Nazareth. We saw that the disciples were sent out and they faced a hunger, homelessness, hostility. And we saw last week that John the Baptist uh, lost his life for the sake of following Christ. And we opened up last week's sermon uh, with a uh, quote or a couple quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote a fantastic book called The Cost of Discipleship. And we looked at the difference between cheap grace and costly, costly grace. And what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he says, costly grace is costly because it costs a man his life, but it's grace because it gives us true life in Christ. And he said, uh, it was one of my favorite lines from uh, his book, is costly grace is costly because it calls us to follow. But it's grace because of who it calls us to follow. It calls us to follow Jesus. And what we learn in our text today is that Jesus is the good shepherd. And that's why it's gracious to follow in his footsteps, because he is the good shepherd. And if you were a first century Israelite uh, uh, reading this text or or encountering uh, Jesus calling dibs on being the good shepherd, this would be good news. Because uh, the story of redemptive history is, is the people of God, the Israelites, having a long line of bad shepherds, a long line of bad shepherds. Even the heroes of the faith were deeply flawed. Uh, Moses, and, and Moses didn't go to the promised land because he missed, uh, misused the staff that God gave him to shepherd the flock at the waters at Meribah, so he didn't go into the promised land. David misused his shepherd authority as king of Israel to, to feed his lusts uh, and actually murdered someone to cover up his tracks. And in addition to that, the under-shepherds in Israel uh, uh, weren't the best either. That's kind of the narrative leading up to the coming of Christ. So much so that in Ezekiel 34, 2 through 5, uh, the Lord speaks through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel is exiled in Babylon. And this is what God has to say about the shepherds of Israel at that time. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, and you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. The people of God at this moment were like sheep without a shepherd. But that's the indictment, but there's, a, there's, a, there's some good news coming in Ezekiel as well, and this is what uh, the promise the promise God gave through Ezekiel says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. 
as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall, there they shall lie down in, uh, in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And jumping ahead to verse 23, and I will set over them, listen to this, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And what we see in our text today in Mark 6 is that God stayed true to his word here in Ezekiel, that Jesus Christ is the truer and the better shepherd, a shepherd who will never leave or forsake his flock, a shepherd who seeks the lost, who brings back the stray, who binds up the injured, who strengthens the weak, a shepherd who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for his sheep. And so my hope today as we journey through this text today is that we would just, uh, the people of God, that we would just be in awe, awe the, the, the privilege it is to have this Jesus as our shepherd, the privilege it is to know the good shepherd that there is no surer foundation, there's no greater comfort in this world than knowing the Good Shepherd. Let's pray and we'll, we'll dive in here. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, God, for today and, and your grace and your provision in our life. Lord, thank you for sending your son uh, for sheep uh, without a shepherd, for sheep who are prone to wander, Lord. Uh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. So, so Spirit, we, uh, we thank you for your presence here among us. And we ask you to, to work in power, Lord. Would you uh, bless the preaching of your word? Would you soften our hearts today to, to hear what you're saying? Lord, I pray that, uh, Spirit, you come, you magnify Jesus to us through our affections for him. And would you increase up here? Would I decrease for your glory? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Well, hey, I had nine points uh, to start out this sermon. I boiled it down to five, so you can thank me later for that because it would have been... A two-hour sermon. But the first thing we're going to look at here is the good shepherd restores. Look at verse 30. The good shepherd restores. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place uh, by themselves. So quick recap here. The disciples are coming back. They're returning to Jesus. And if we remember last week's text, they came back kind of on their first missionary journey where Jesus commissioned them to go out in teams of two. He said, just take a, a staff, one pair of shoes, one pair of clothes, and go out and travel town to town. And they face hunger, hostility, homelessness. And they're coming back now from that journey, uh, telling Jesus of all the amazing things that they did with the authority, with the authority that he entrusted to them. And uh, you better believe that these disciples, listen, are coming back thinned out. Okay, if you catch my drift. Maybe they missed some meals. Uh, they're not taking an Uber to village to village, if you catch my drift, they got, they got blisters on their feet because they're not wearing Nikes, traveling down to town, wearing sandals, and they're coming back weary, exhausted, bags on the eyes, but they're coming back with no regrets. Come back with no regrets. But when they come back, it says here in the text that they're coming back to a whole lot more work, right? Some of you taking a vacation, and you're like, okay, that was great, and you come back, and there's an avalanche waiting for you, or you take a vacation with kids, and you realize that wasn't a vacation, that you just... <laughs> You just moved your stuff somewhere else to watch your kids, and then uh, someone say, preach, Nick. Um, 
And there's so much work waiting for them when they return from this, uh, this journey that they're on. It says they can't even eat. There's so many people coming and going, they can't even eat. And if you're a parent of multiple kids, you know exactly what that's like, right? You know exactly what. Some of you didn't even eat breakfast today because you're trying to make it to church on time. And, uh, and by the way, it's okay. 15 minutes late, if you have multiple kids, it's on time, okay? So there's grace for you. But that's, that's where they're at. That's, that's what Mark is, is trying to illustrate to the reader is this is how busy uh, and, and how pressing in on, the, the, uh, on Jesus and the disciples uh, the crowds were. And what I love here, what I love here is you see the heart of Jesus. You see the heart of the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, we learn that the good shepherd restores our souls, that Jesus Christ is in the soul restoration business. And what he says to the disciples is beautiful. He says, come away. Come away. Let's go. Let's rest a while. You guys have been working hard. You guys have been grinding. Ministry can be a grind sometimes. You need to come away. Rest a while. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, what Jesus didn't say, what Jesus didn't say when the disciples come back and report everything to him, Jesus didn't go, really? That's all you did? Those are all the towns you went to? I thought you were going to go way more than that. Why, why, why'd you slow down? Why only that? Okay, cool. You healed some people. Yeah, you cast some, uh, some demons out. of. Okay, cool. But, but what, what, what about more? I mean, come on, guys. You guys are the apostles. I gave you my authority. You couldn't do more than that? And hey, by the way, while you guys have been gone, taking your sweet time to get back here, I've been, I've been busy. I can't even eat. Someone go make me a ham sandwich. I'm hungry, right? That's not the heart of our shepherd. That's not the heart of Christ. But often, uh, that's the voice you think uh, the good shepherd has in your life, where you feel guilty. You feel guilty about going away and resting a while. When we see the heart of Christ saying, he's looking at his, his sheep and saying, you're burnt out. You got, you got bags on your eyes. Rest. It's okay. The senior pastor here, uh, Jeff, he's, he's been on a sabbatical for five weeks. That's, that's good. That's healthy. Jesus was beckoning him, come away, rest a while, get recharged. Ministry can be a grind. There's nothing wrong with that. Church, we can't keep our foot on the gas, okay? And when we're tired and we don't put our foot off the gas, we just drink more coffee. That's not, that's not healthy. That's not healthy, and that's not the heart of Christ. Jesus Christ, he's in the soul restoration business, and what that means is that our souls need restoring. We've got to stop reading these self-help books saying, you have no limits, bogus. Uh, try to go without sleep for a week and, and tell me what limits, yeah, yeah, how you go without limits, right? God has made us limited beings so that we understand we need to depend on him for our strength, that our souls get depleted. Our souls need to be restored, especially when we're doing kingdom work. And listen, church, there's only one person in one place we go to get our souls restored. The problem you and I have is we understand this. The problem is, is not necessarily that we understand that we need restoration in our souls. The problem is where we go. We'll take a Sabbath, but we think a Sabbath means binging on Netflix. Watch it. I got to watch Stranger Things 1 and 2 again with no breaks in between that 5, 15 second window of do I, do I watch another episode? Yes or no? I don't know. I guess it'll continue, you know? You all been there. That's, that doesn't restore your soul. Buying shoes on Amazon does not restore your soul. Jesus is calling us, saying, come to me, you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I, and I, and I will give you rest. You cannot find soul restoration, listen, anywhere else but Christ. Come away, rest a while. If you're here today and you, 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 you feel that pull, if there's a way you can reorient your schedule just for maybe half an hour in the morning or, or half a day sometime this week, schedule that in with the intent of meeting Jesus there because he's going to meet you there. So my challenge would be, where are we going in those moments where we need that restoration? Where are we going for soul restoration? It's Jesus Christ who's in the restoration business. So the good shepherd restores. Next, we see that the good shepherd loves. Look at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So uh, what's happening here is the disciples in Jesus, they, they get in the boat, and the disciples are pumped. At this point, if, if I'm a disciple, I'm like, yes, the Airbnb is booked. We're going to the cabin in the woods. I'm going to have a quiet time with Jesus every morning. Uh, it's going to be amazing, right? And they're, they, they've begun their journey on the lake. But here's the deal. We, we see here, this is known as, it's not known as, anyways, I, I thought this was, this is what came to me as I was studying. No, no commentators said this. But this is the running of the Galileans, okay, is the way I like to, uh, to put it, where everyone's like, well, oh, Jesus and the disciples, they're going that way. All right, so you see this mob of people, like this image of literally thousands of people running to try and beat the boat across the lake, okay? And they're running like village to village, uh, miles on foot, uh, uh, fire in their lungs, uh, calves on fire screaming and just like rallying the whole Judean countryside or the whole you know, region of Galilee to run. It's like, a, it's like a, the Boston Marathon, if you will. Thousands of people, the running of the Galileans. That's the image I have. But what sticks out to me immediately here. What was convicting to me as I was, as I was camping out in this text uh, this week was the hunger these people had for Jesus. The hunger, the thirst that they had, the passion they had. They threw caution to the wind and are going to run for miles for the chance, for the chance that they might beat Jesus to the other side of the lake. And I've been reading uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. I quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship, last week, and now I'm reading probably the antithesis of that, which is the Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. Uh, so take this with a grain of salt. There's some controversy around Brendan Manning, but his book is phenomenal, and I highly recommend it. So take that however you wish. Um, but uh, this is what he says, this, this quote. Oh, man, it's just so good, so good. It says, faith means you want God and want to want nothing else. In faith, there is movement and development. Each day is something new. To be Christian, faith has to be new. He qualifies, he quantifies or qualifies. He says, uh, faith has to be new. That is, that is alive and growing. It cannot be static, finished, settled. Uh, when scripture, prayer, worship, ministry become routine, they are dead. When I conclude that I can now cope with the awful love of God, I have headed for the shallows to avoid the deeps. I love this next line. He says, I could more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup than I can comprehend the wild, uncontainable love of God. Wow. Wow, that's hashtag worthy right there. I can more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup than I can comprehend uh, the wild, uncontainable love of God for me. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that the Good Shepherd loves you that much? Or, or just nothing you, you can kind of hold it and contain it in a teacup? And he continues, he says, if our faith is going to be criticized, let it be for the right reasons. Not because we're too emotional, but because we're not even emotional enough. Not because our passions are so powerful, but because they are so puny. Not because we are too affectionate, but because we lack a deep, passionate, uncompromising affection for Jesus Christ. And so the challenge I want to pose to us today in our text is, uh, is uh, are we going to be guilty, church, of running, uh, uh, let us be guilty of running too far, in our, in our hunger and our thirst for Jesus, rather than just sitting on the lakeside and watching uh, true life, life abundantly, life everlasting, pass us by on the seashore. Because we don't want to get up. It's too uncomfortable. He might call us to do some, some uncomfortable things. Let it be said of, of me, let it be said of us, church, that our thirst is so great, our hunger is so great, uh, that, we, that, that, that we'd run for miles, lungs on fire, just to, just to experience, just to see, just to know this Jesus. We see the hunger and the passion they had 
uh, for them, the delight they had. But here's the cool thing is we see uh, the passion and delight that the good shepherd had for them as well. And so uh, the disciples, they're, I'm sure they're, they're going uh, closer and closer to where, where they're going to dock, and they see the mob there, and they pull ashore, and literally what is waiting for them is, is thousands of sweaty, stinky, huffing and puffing people who ran their full sprint and beat them there. And if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. Like, you got to be kidding. you got to be kidding me. Seriously? This is how we get repaid for serving the Lord? But what's interesting here is Jesus doesn't frown. Jesus doesn't rebuke the crowd like he rebukes the winds and the waves. Like, you know, get out of here, you know, stop being a crowd, and you need to do that. Jesus, you almost, almost sense he's got a smile on his face. And Jesus looks at them, and it says he has compassion, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. What those people were hungering for, what they were thirsting for was a shepherd. They needed Jesus, and he saw their desperation. And it wasn't out of duty saying, I'm a good shepherd, and this is what good shepherds do, therefore I'll, you know, I'll start ministering to them. No, it was out of delight, out of compassion for them, that, that Jesus is not troubled by you. He's not burdened by his sheep. Uh, he is the good shepherd. He, he longs to look after. He longs to hear from us and, and bring our, our mess to him. So Jesus looks at this crowd and has compassion. And there's a quote that Jeff shared a couple months ago in one of his sermons, and, and he said this, and it just rocked me. He said, you and I will delight in God to the extent that we know that God delights in us. You and I will delight in God to the extent that we, that we know that he delights in us. Jeff quoted something, something to that, but I think in the church we just, we just can't comprehend how much our good shepherd loves and has compassion for us. When Jesus Christ has made it crystal clear, when we look at uh, John 10, 10, and John 10, 10 through 11, where literally, literally, Jesus Christ died to know you, died to have you know him and died to know you. And this is what he says in John 10, 10 through 11. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Jesus here calling dibs on Ezekiel 34. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Our shepherd's love for us is a costly love. He gave his life so that you and I could find life in him. It's for God so loved the world that he sent a truer and a better shepherd to lay down his life for his sheep so we would know the sweet blessing it is to know this Jesus who is our good shepherd. The next thing we see here is the good shepherd provides. Look at verse 34. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This is remarkable. Jesus pulls up on the shore. Everyone's huffing and puffing. Uh, they just ran probably like half a, half a marathon. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, all right, let's get you some Gatorade, some orange slices, some Capri Suns. Here, let's get you medals. You know, like you guys, you guys did this. Uh, this was amazing. Jesus doesn't do that. He starts teaching them. He starts teaching them. And so what does a good shepherd provides? He, he provides what the flock doesn't necessarily want, but what they need. Before Jesus provides physical nourishment, he goes after what is uh, of ultimate importance, their spiritual nourishment. He begins to teach them. Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 3 says this, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manner, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Listen, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live by bread alone, church. We live on the, on the word, uh, the words of life that God has clearly spoken to us. Do we believe that? 
that every day when the alarm clock wakes up, our greatest need is not that cup of coffee or, or those scrambled eggs or, or hard-boiled eggs, or whatever you're, you're eating these days. That's not your greatest need. It'd be better for you to go without food than miss out on the spiritual nourishment that you daily need. You daily need. That is our greatest need, not physical food, but spiritual food. And Jesus is giving this hungry, this thirsty crowd with their hungry, thirsty souls need the words of life that he is speaking to them. And I had a seminary professor who, uh, who made a, like a commitment. He said uh, a while back, I think when he was in college, that he would not eat. He would not eat until he feasted on God's word. And he said, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I don't think he's lying to me. He's a professor, so you can't lie, right? Uh, he said, he, said he, he stayed true to that. He would not dare eat physically until he ate and feasted spiritually. And church, uh, our shepherd has, has, has locked and loaded our fridge with everything we need in this book right here. This is God, uh, God's word. It's his self-disclosure, his self-revelation of who he is uh, and what he's done for us, his love for us. And our fridge is locked and loaded with a feast waiting for us in between these pages. Our God and his providence has gone at great lengths to give us his word. Are we, is this where we're going? Those devotionals are great. Listening to podcasts are, are great. Uh, this, 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 takes, this takes the cake, baby. This is it. This is our diet, church. This is God's word. And it's not just that God has spoken in his word. It's that what, what scripture says. It says that his word is living and active, that God is speaking to us through his word. I could share story after story of just this week just this week, Numbers 20, James 3, uh, the course of my day, the trajectory of my day, and maybe even my life, uh, the Holy Spirit coming and speaking to me, piercing to my, to my heart, convicting me in God's grace, and changing my life, changing my day that day. You, my wife can, can, can testify to that. It's God's word speaking to us on a daily basis. Church, church, this is what we feast on. This is what we need. It's God's word meeting with him and, and hearing his words of life spoken to us. The fridge is locked and loaded. Are we opening the door? Are we opening the door? And so that's what Jesus does here. And what's beautiful is what we see is that Jesus doesn't just meet spiritual needs. He doesn't, uh, what Jesus, so I was in youth ministry for a while when I was a volunteer leader, uh, one of my youth pastors, and I don't think he'd mind sharing, me sharing this because I'd give him a hard time to his face anyways, but he's a good friend of mine. And uh, we do a volunteer retreat for a weekend. It's a Friday and a Saturday, come back Sunday morning. And on Saturday, it was a fast day. Now, I always wondered for my man, I was like, okay, is it a fast day because we're, we want to pursue Lord and, and stir our affections for Jesus, which, which yes, it, it, yes, that was right. But then I, there's, you know, in, in my sinful nature, part of me was like, you know, I wonder, it's really easy to plan a retreat when you don't have to feed anyone. <laughs> it's really easy on the budget when nobody's eating, you know? And I'm like, I, just, I was like, man, that's that's a really easy way to plan a retreat. No, nobody's cooking, nobody's cleaning, no one's out to buy food. This is amazing, right? Um, Jesus doesn't do that here to the crowd. Crowd's hungry, crowd's thirsty, and, and, and Jesus, yes, he, he gives them what their souls need, but he also meets the physical needs as well. And he doesn't declare, okay, all, all you guys are going to fast. It's a, it's a fasting day, you know, enjoy that, you know, whatever. You're going to prove your devotion to me or whatever. No, Jesus doesn't do that. That's not the heart of our good shepherd. The good shepherd provides spiritually and physically. 35, and when it grew late... His disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples, man, the disciples, this is, if I was there, this is like pretty much what I would be saying too. Like disciples, this is all practical, right? 
This is honestly like, this makes sense. There's thousands of people there on the countryside. They're starving. And basically what the disciples are saying, listen, Jesus, 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 here's the deal, bro. It's way late. It is past my bedtime. We are, we are really, really hungry. So are they. So we got a win-win. Maybe they rally and like, hey, how do we figure this out? And maybe Peter was the one who went up to Jesus and said this, but he goes, a win-win. We send out the crowds to get fed in the villages. We outsource the job of shepherding and let other people figure it out, okay? Win. We don't have to deal with the crowd anymore. Win-win is now we're rid of the crowd and we get rest. Boom. Perfect scenario. They get food, what they need, what we get, what we need. Mission accomplished, Jesus. And they say, they say this. They say, send them away. Send them away. And a lot of you might be here this morning wrestling with sin or wrestling with other things, and you think that's the voice uh, of your shepherd because you have shame for what you've done, things in your past or even things this week or maybe even how, you know, or whatever it is, you think the good shepherd's saying, send them away. I, I, I don't have time for these people. But we see that's not the heart of our Savior. That's not the heart of our shepherd. Jesus answers them in verse 37, and he says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. That's not how this shepherding thing works. I'm the good shepherd, you're under shepherds. We're gonna feed this flock. You give them something. This is, this is our responsibility. We don't outsource the work of the ministry. And they said to him, <laughs> sarcastically in a way, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? The disciples are looking at, the, they hear what Jesus says, okay? They say, okay, disciples, give them something to eat. And they're looking at, they're looking at uh, scholars suggest that there's 5,000 men, but there could be close to 15 to 20,000 people, women and children as well. Uh, they're looking at thousands of people, and, and they, they pretty much say to Jesus, okay, Jesus, you're asking us, uh, people who, just remember, we left our nets to follow you. We left, we left our tax booths to follow you. Like, I, Jesus, in case you forgot, I'm not, I'm not like an investment baker. Uh, I'm not a CEO of a major corporation. You're asking us to give eight months of wages. It would take eight months of wages to feed these sheep. And by the way, I'm reaching for my wallet, but you told us only to kind of walk around with like a one pair of clothes and leave our money back behind. So Jesus is like, I'm struggling here, man. What are you, what are you saying? What are we going to feed them with? And uh, what's beautiful is what happens next. And Jesus says, essentially, he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see it. Jesus basically says, what do you got? What do you got? Hand that over to me. And watch me, watch me multiply. Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And so what we learned from the other uh, gospel accounts is that uh, Andrew, Andrew found a little boy. His mom packed him essentially a lunch, a little brown bag, some snack packs, and you know, some milk in there, whatever, basically. And they took it from the boy. And they said, hey, we found this boy who, who I guess, ran with his lunch in his, his backpack. And uh, we found five loaves of bread and two fish. This is all we got, Jesus. And what Jesus is doing for the disciples and for the crowd here is he's giving them a lesson on how the kingdom of God operates. He's giving all of us a lesson in his word. He's speaking to you. He's giving us a lesson on how the kingdom of God operates. Jesus is saying, what do you got? Give me the little that you have and watch me multiply. Give me your weakness and let me be your strength. Let me do the impossible in your life. Second Corinthians uh, 12, 9 through 10, the Apostle Paul talking about the thorn in the flesh that God gave him. <clears throat> and I love, I love 2 Corinthians. And this is the kingdom mindset that we should have. But God said to me, as Paul was pleading, take this from me, Lord, the Apostle was, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, what Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'll be weak so he can be strong. I'll be weak so he can get the glory. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is how the kingdom of God operates. Because Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, gets the, gets the most glory when we don't go out and try to do the impossible in our own strength. But when we realize that we can't, Jesus can, and we should let him, right? And so doing youth ministry for a while, there's one youth group kid who... Uh, really big into bodybuilding. This kid was like, uh, like ripped out of his mind, okay? And so he told me a story one uh, Sunday night at youth group of, uh, <clears throat> this is a weird story, but anyways, let's deal with it. Uh, he uh, shirtless in front of the mirror in the bathroom. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get a selfie to post on Instagram so everyone will, uh, to, you know, whatever, like the post. And, and so he's trying to get a picture of his pecs. And so he's, he's flexing with everything he has, but listen, don't ever try this at home. He's flexing, but he's, he's holding his breath because he's trying to make his chest look more ripped and get like the, you know, like the whatever. And so, so my man is sitting there, hand shaking, flexing his chest to get to upload a, a picture of his chest, you know, up on whatever. And he gets the photo and, 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 and just passes out and blacks out on the, you know, blacks, you know, blacks out, passes out on the floor, wakes up uh, completely unconscious on the bathroom tile and looks and is staring at a picture of his chest there <laughs> on the, the bathroom floor. But, here, but here's the deal. The reason I share that, church, is uh, the good shepherd uh, hasn't asked us to, to, to flex and show everyone how strong we are, right? We lead with our weakness. Jesus says, give me what you got and, and let me get the glory. Uh, the shepherd's not asking uh, his sheep to flex and show everyone how strong they are. He's saying, hand it over to me, whatever that issue is, whatever that crisis is in your life, whether it's a work of ministry or, or that problem in your marriage or personal struggles or, or addictions or even health crisis, hand that over to me and watch me, watch me, the good shepherd, be your strength. Let me be your victory. Let me be your fortress. Let me be your shepherd. Stop trying to be your own shepherd. You have a good shepherd. Let go and let him, let him lead and guide you, church. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of having a shepherd is we don't have to live our lives uh, trying to flex and show, show everyone how strong we are. No, when I'm weak, then Christ is strong. The Christian life is the, the dependent life, the dependent life upon our good shepherd. Verse 39. And then he, he commanded them all to sit down in groups, of, uh, in groups on the green grass. And what we see here is, uh, as you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in what? Green pastures. That's what Christ is doing here. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Immediately, first century Israelite reading this uh, and, and there uh, on the, the hillside there being divided up would have realized that this is exactly how Moses in, in the wilderness in Exodus 18, divided up the people. We see that someone uh, uh, better than Moses is here. This is a, a kind of a, a glimpse back to God providing miraculously, the Lord providing the manna in the desert, in the wilderness to his people. So Jesus dividing them up the same way. And taking the five loaves and two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before, to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And what immediately sticks out to me here, church, is the superabundance of the provision of our good shepherd. 
super abundance. All he had was a couple loaves, a couple fish, and he fed 15,000 to 20,000 people with just that. And listen, everyone ate and was satisfied. Nobody left hungry. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He's going to provide richly, abundantly for me. They had leftovers. Disciples each get uh, 12 baskets to take home with them, uh, broken pieces of bread and of the fish. And so what we see here is that our good shepherd doesn't just provide for us. It uh, doesn't provide cheaply or, or sparsely, but, but he provides richly and abundantly, both spiritually, but also physically. But also physically. This is what James 1 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. But this is saying, listen, is any physical grace, any physical blessing we have uh, in our lives is from the sweet hand of our good shepherd to us, a blessing we don't deserve. The shoes on our feet, the clothes on our back, the roof over our head, even if it's a leaky roof, we praise God that we got a roof over our head. It's a good gift from him. And whether you're here today and you're a Christian or, or not a Christian, we call it common grace, the, 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 the theological term to say that God is gracious to all of humanity by providing richly for our needs. Richly, abundantly. That's why we, we say a blessing over our meal. And we say, God, thank you for your grace, providing for uh, what my soul needs. And thank you, God, for your provision in my life. May I not take that for granted. May I understand that the job you've given me, uh, the money in the bank, it's all your hand. It's all your grace. Life can change in a second. Life can change in a second. Uh, we had an incident uh, a week ago where all it takes is a, is a, a, a broken wax seal in a toilet to completely change uh, the, first the first floor that it sits over top of and, and completely change everything, right? That's all it takes. That's how fragile life is. That's how, that's how fragile it is. And, and it's not a crisis, but that's like a difficulty, but it just illustrates how fragile our life is. Where I was walking down the, the steps of our deck yesterday, and uh, I, I fell down this, the, the stairs of our deck because the plank just came completely out. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, like that could have been really bad. And I was talking to my wife, you know, I went and, and, uh, and, and, and you know, put it all back together or whatever. But I told my wife, I was like, hey, be careful out there. She's like, I was just, I was just like an hour earlier walking down those stairs with our newborn, uh, walking down those stairs, the same stairs that you fell down, and, and, and like in the little carrier, you know, like going from the deck to the backyard. And, uh, and we just, we were just, we were just kind of, it was sobering to us, saying, man, thank you, God. Thank you, God. That could have been a whole lot worse. All it takes, that's all it takes. That's how, that's how fragile it is. But do we believe that the good shepherd uh, leads and guides and provides and sustains us and all of uh, the blessings he gives us are not blessings we deserve, but are blessings we don't deserve. That's why it's all his grace. Uh, uh, Jesus got what we deserve on the cross so that we can get what we don't deserve, and it's the abundance of his grace, our union with him. And the good shepherd, not only does he provide, but he pursues. Verse 45, And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before them to the other side to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd, and after, and, and, and while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and, and when he was alone on the land, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Real quick, we see Jesus in his humanity needs soul restoration as well. Jesus is modeling to us the, the dependent life on the Father. Jesus gets away for a time to pray and spend with God, his Father. 
If Jesus has to do the church, how much more do we need to do that as well? And what Jesus sees, uh, uh, it is late, so Jesus uh, kind of sends the crowds away, and he sends the disciples uh, away, and it's the third watch of the night, which was around 3 a.m. at that time, and he sees the disciples rowing literally against the wind, making headway painfully. That word in the Greek pain is the same word for uh, torture and tormenting. That literally, they're traveling against the wind, so they're making no progress making no progress. And, and I'm sure that they're wondering, man, where is Jesus right now? It is late. It is 3 a.m. Does he not see? Does he not see what we're going through? We're not making any progress. We've been out here all night. What is going on? Where is this Jesus? And in the same way for some of us, whether it's a health, a health crisis or in our marriage, uh, uh, sometimes our lives can be described as us rowing against the wind where we're giving it everything we got. And it's like we're growing against the wind, not making any progress. And we're asking the question, where is Jesus in this? Where is Jesus in this? And one of, one of the points I had I took out, but I'll say it anyways, is that our, our good shepherd sees, the good shepherd watches over his sheep. That's what we see, Jesus being a shepherd. He sees the, the condition his sheep are in, but he does something about it. It's his compassion that does something about it. With the eyes that he saw the crowd and had compassion for them and did something about it, he looks at his disciples uh, in kind of their crisis moment and he looks with compassion, and therefore he pursues them. Look at 48. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he came to them, walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them, but when uh, they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they were all saw him and were terrified, which is a completely natural response when you see someone walking on water. But what I love about this is it says the good shepherd, Jesus, came to them. He, he pursues us, church. Oftentimes, when you, when you uh, commit your life to Christ, you become a follower of Jesus, you realize it wasn't you pursuing Jesus as much as it was the good shepherd chasing you down, chasing you down. He came to them, and listen, he came to them walking on water. There is no obstacle too great for this good shepherd to overcome when it comes to chasing us down. Uh, oh, I need to feed 5,000 people? Cool, give me what you got. A couple loaves of bread, a couple of fish. Oh, there's a, a body of water in between. It's cool, I'll walk on it, okay? That's the heart of our good shepherd. He pursues us and, and pursues us over bodies of water on foot. But there's, a, uh, there's a, something we need to address here. It says here in the text that he meant to pass by them. And there's a ton of debate there. I don't have time to unpack everything. But what most scholars suggest, and I think is, is beautiful here, is actually what is happening here is this is uh, uh, giving us uh, kind of um, a picture of what happened in Exodus 33. Uh, uh, Moses asked God to do something that was, was pretty scary. Moses kind of asking for a tidal wave here. Moses asked God in Exodus 33, 18, he says, please show me your glory. That's a scary prayer to pray. Moses asking for a tidal wave, tidal wave to hit him. God of the universe, show me your glory. Moses, your, your, your head would explode. You, you, you don't do that. But God in his grace does, and this is what God says to Moses in Exodus 33. And he said, listen, I will make all my goodness, listen, pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I'm going to both display my glory and also declare it, okay? That's important, verse 19. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will, I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. What, what God in his grace does for Moses is gives Moses a peek, a glimpse of his glory right? And in the same way, Jesus Christ in his grace is passing by his disciples and saying, listen, I am the good shepherd, but I'm also the Lord. 
The Lord is my shepherd. And so he passes by them to give them a glimpse of his glory. He says, there's a, there's a lot of word going around. We saw last week in Mark 6, who is this Jesus? Is it John the Baptist risen from the dead? Is it the prophet Elijah? Uh, and, and Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You're in the presence of the divine here. I am no mere prophet. You can't put me in the box of being a great moral teacher. That's not how this works. And so he displays his glory, but he also uh, declares it in, in the next point. And this is the last point I have here is that the good shepherd comforts. The good shepherd comforts. 50, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the winds ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the lows, but their hearts were hardened. So Jesus sees the uh, disciples terrified and he says, he says something beautiful, uh, a common refrain all through the Old Testament uh, that Yahweh the Lord would say to his people, take heart, be of good cheer, have courage. It is I, do not be afraid. In the Greek, that, uh, that, is, that it is I is actually ego amy. It is I am. I am. I uh, displayed my glory on the waters. Just like Exodus 33, look at verse 19. He said, I will make all my goodness pass by you. And two, I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. I am the Lord. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am. I am. This is what Daniel Aiken has to say about that. These are the words God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. Our Savior declares himself audaciously to be the great I am who led the Hebrews out of Egypt and safely through the waters of the Red Sea. I love this last line. Jesus not only walks where only God can walk, walk he also bears, uh, bears God's name. The I am has passed by both showing and declaring his deity. And the reason uh, the disciples need not fear is not only that Jesus is their shepherd, but also that he is their Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And so I'm going to conclude with this, with just this question is, is where are you at today? This past week, maybe this season of life, maybe it's a family crisis. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a health crisis uh, or, or a personal struggle or addiction. And what I want to point you to is our good shepherd, that, that, that church, the, 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 the beautiful privilege we have of being sons and daughters of, our, uh, of God is that uh, we're not sheep without a shepherd anymore. And that the promise of Psalm 23, which we're going to conclude to read here, the promise of Psalm 23 is a true and present reality for the believer in the Lord Jesus. So, so we can say, come what may in this life, come what may, I have a good shepherd. Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. When Jesus gets in the boat with the disciples, what happens to the wind and to the waters? They still. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Oh, fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I love this last line, church. May we leave here singing this. May we leave here knowing this. May we leave here resting in this promise. 
knowing that come what may in this life, this is a promise that is true and present for me. Surely I am convinced of this goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall pursue me, shall chase me down all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because Jesus Christ is my shepherd. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know you. What a privilege it is uh, uh, that you've called us your own to think of where we would be apart from, from you pursuing us. Where would we be without you, the good shepherd, loving us and guiding us and leading us and restoring our souls? Oh, we'd be sheep without a shepherd, living meaningless lives, rowing against the wind, making no progress and don't even know where the destination is to where we're going. What a privilege, what an honor it is to have you, Jesus, as our good shepherd. May we never take that for granted. May you, Holy Spirit, remind us of the beautiful promise and hope uh, and sure foundation we have in you, Jesus, today. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. All praise, all glory, and all honor be to you, Jesus. Praise in your name. Amen.